everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give bad advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? The answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice, but I have no qualifications to give any kind of advice. Not financial advice, not medical advice, not legal advice. I do not have any qualifications related to psychotherapy, spiritual therapy, physical therapy, or any therapy that extends beyond making a respectable mixed drink. I am not a licensed phlebotomist. In fact, phlebotomy has nothing whatsoever to do with this podcast, but it's just a fun word to say. Phlebotomist. Phlebotomist. See? Try it. Phlebotomist. Anyway, I'm not licensed to give out any sort of advice. So will this advice I give you be good advice? The answer is there in the title of the podcast. If you're not joining me for the first time and you've been here before, you've probably noticed my podcast now has music. Let's listen to a little bit more of it. People who know more about these things than I do, which is to say people who really should be giving out advice, all suggested I add music to the podcast to help people get in the mood. And while I first resisted this because I don't want to think about any of you getting into any sort of mood, I listened to a bunch of music and I found this track by Richard Emmett, which I really like. So now we have music. It's a milestone, like my podcast grew its first tooth and isn't a tiny baby anymore. Okay, that's enough music for now. Let's get started. My first question today comes from the Northern Twitter Territories. Dear Quinn, what shoes and pants shall I pack for a trip to the UK in late September? I have boots, raincoat, and fleece for countryside hiking. But what can I wear in the big cities to be comfortable and stylish when it's likely 50 degrees and drizzling? Are skinny jeans and leggings with boots still in style? Is a loose straight trouser a better choice? If so, what footwear? My feet will be cold in a ballet flat. Sneakers are inappropriate for evenings in London and Edinburgh. I pack light, a carry-on, and backpack for two weeks. What say you? My first instinct was definitely a skinny jean and a boot, Keep them dark. No one will notice. You'll look dressed up. And then I started to doubt myself because I'm convinced that when we traveled last year to visit our daughter in France when she was going to school, that people blocks away started rubbing the bridge of their nose because they could sense an American nearby. That is how ineptly I believe I dress. So I did some research for you. Turns out I'm right. There is a website I'm going to send you to travelfashiongirl.com. First, she agreed with me that a skinny jean and a boot will make you look perfectly presentable. So now I, of course, think she's a genius. But second, what she does there is the travel essentials packing list, where there are like 15 items that will get you through three weeks. Go find this. It will tell you exactly what to pack. I think she's inspired. I also think she's a genius because she talks about packing cubes. 
Packing cubes saved our butt when we went to visit our daughter for two weeks, went to France where it was snowing, and then we went to the Netherlands where it was snowing and raining. And we still got away with one carry-on and one backpack apiece. So, travel fashion girl, travels essentials, packing list, and have a great time. Here is another one from QC Bad. Dear Quinn, how does one gain respect from someone who professes to love them, but shows little respect for them? I am looking at a microphone right now. I know it is a microphone because it is taking my voice and it's putting it in the computer behind me through a series of wires and buttons and magic. I don't know how it works, but it meets the parameters of a microphone. It could be a different color, it'd still be a mic. You could make it a different shape, it would still be a mic. But if it doesn't send the sound from here, I'm pointing, to there, I'm pointing, it's not a mic. If someone loves you, there are a few things that can come and go. You can love someone and not appreciate their sense of humor. You can love someone but not necessarily want to share a bathroom with them. I think if you don't respect somebody, if you don't think that their very essence is worthy of care and consideration on a level with yours, which is what, to me, respect is, then they don't love you. I think they're using a word that they know holds a lot of appeal for you and gets you to do stuff and gets you to behave a certain way that they want. But without respect, I'm not even sure what it is. Well, I know it's not equal because you clearly want their respect. It implies you have respect for them. This is like an owner and a pet, like a dog. How do you gain respect? Maybe by walking away. This one is from QCBad.com. Dear Quinn, my family and I were invited to a wedding on the East Coast. No one expected us to attend. Have not seen my friend in years and delighted for the shout-out. However, I wanted to send a $35 or $40 gift. Nothing big, just something to let them know we will be thinking of them on the big day. My problem, they have only registered for cash. No gift registry of any kind. And they only get 92.5% of the cash for every dollar spent through the site. I think these registries are tacky, and I hate giving cash because there is literally zero thought involved in the gift selection. But also, $30 after fees just sounds like a GoFundMe page contribution. Do I forego the gift altogether? Get a gift card from somewhere I know my main friend would like? Buy something from a registry knowing full well they won't want it? Bottle of champagne sent to their house? What would you suggest? I love 2019 because just when I think people couldn't get more vulgar, they get more vulgar. This person you haven't seen in years sends you an invite knowing this isn't going to happen because you're not going to do across the United States for what amounts to a glorified acquaintance at this point. She looked through her address book and she thought, eh, 
She'll probably send me some cash. This is a straight-up ATM transaction. You are an ATM, and she just rolled up. All this to say, do whatever you want to do. If you want to send her a bottle of champagne, I think that is a very stylish move and gets you out under $30. Although, I just had to try to send wine to somebody in another state. It was a far bigger pain in the butt than you might think, just, just saying this. But I, the sheer gall of this, I am making the sign of the cross over the microphone. You don't have to do anything. I absolve you. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm actually staggered by the naked greed of this. Do whatever entertains you. Dear Quinn, my father has been diagnosed with brain cancer and at 87 has decided not to seek treatment. After an abusive childhood, I've received enough therapy to have found a place of forgiveness and friendliness for many years, but not managed closeness. It just made things safer for me to be not that connected. It was not always terrible growing up, and I have happy memories mixed with really awful ones, which is actually more confusing in some ways. Since hearing he is ill, I have felt great shame that maybe I could have been less distant or tried harder. I'm a bit scared that his death will make this much worse. We do speak. We live far apart. But I'm not going to be able to change the past. I'm feeling overwhelmed with guilt and not at all sure how to process this. Would love to hear your perspective on this. Um... As some of you know, I had a mother who was, she was prickly. There were jagged things in her from her own childhood that really were only happy when they were drawing blood on the people around her. For the last five years of her life, I was pretty much her caretaker. And in what turned out to be the last week of her life, I was driving away from her house, and it suddenly occurred to me that it was not going to change. We were not going to have some great indie movie rapprochement where she apologized and I accepted her apology. Nothing was going to change. She was just going to die. I started to cry. And after a minute or so of driving on Hollywood Boulevard and crying, which only made me like 10% worse of a driver than everyone else on Hollywood Boulevard... I suddenly realized I didn't need to cry anymore. It was then I figured out that I had not been crying over my mother. The song Copperline had come on the radio, and Copperline always makes me cry. All this to say, you might feel some sort of residual ache for what could have been different after he's gone. Or it might just be Copperline on the radio, or whatever your equivalent is. You're doing the best you can, and that is enough. He was a damaged person who did the best he could. And even on the bad days, that was the best he could do. When you were very little and your brain was growing and figuring out how the world worked, your father severed important fundamental branches that were reaching out to him branches that were looking for a loving, sustained father figure. He couldn't be that guy. You grew up without those branches connecting you. 
it's not going to get fixed in middle age and it's not going to get fixed in old age. You may feel some degree of sorrow after he died. My suspicion is a lot of adults' grief for their parents is an awareness that it wasn't what it might have been. The people I know who had straight-up loving relationships with their parents grieve in a completely different way than what I did. So, yeah, you'll go through some stuff. But you've already learned you're enough. Your therapist told you that. And your therapist has taught you that your father did the best he could, even on the days when he wasn't very good at all. And you will send him on his way. And you may hear a song that'll make you cry. But you might be surprised at how quickly your eyes dry. Like many of you, I am obsessed with Reddit. I found this question on there. She didn't ask me specifically. It's a little long, but I really wanted to take a shot at giving this person bad advice. So here goes. A few days ago, when we were out and about, my boyfriend took a photo of me with my phone. I had a photo of a male Netflix actor, fully clothed, as my lock screen, and he saw it. He gave it back bluntly, saying, Nice wallpaper. For a few minutes, he wouldn't look at me when we were talking. Then he brought up how he had gotten a little jealous. I had that lock screen for months and didn't know it bothered him, so I assured him I'd change it back to a photo of us. He didn't want to get bothered to tell me to change my lock screen. He even made a comment that if he ever met the actor, he'd, quote-unquote, punch him. He used to have a temper when we first started dating, but it's been much better. That day, I was seeing the temper signs of him when we first started dating. He stopped talking to me for the remainder of the day. He's barely talking to me now. We had plans to get sushi this weekend, and he canceled them. His texts are shorter than usual and are closed-ended comments. I never really thought much about it bothering him because I have so many girlfriends who are taken who have their favorite male actor or artist, sports team, athletes, etc. as their wallpaper. I also told my boyfriend it's not like I'm going to get together with the male actor. This is literally impossible. He asked me, what if I had someone else who wasn't you as my wallpaper? And I guess I empathized for him if I were in his shoes. I do admire the actor for who he is. On social media, he's always posting uplifting, positive stories about set life. And when he's back home, he always spends time with his mom and his sister. For me, it's less of a lustful thing, and rather the actor is someone I look up to. When we would watch movies or shows together, my boyfriend would sometimes comment on a good-looking female actress saying that she was hot or pretty never really said anything out loud about male actors. It's Tuesday now, and I've changed my lock screens to a photo of us together and a quote on my home screen. We still have barely talked. We've been together for almost five years, and it's been years since we had a disagreement like this. He's been ghosting me, and our plans that we have made have been canceled. I'm giving him time to cool off, but what else should I do? (laughs) He had a temper like this at the beginning of your relationship, and he either trained himself not to show it, or more likely, you stopped doing the things that set him off. Because there are only two people he is right now. He is either an abuser in the making, figuring out how much control he can get away with, 
because you can't experience anything that is not mediated by him. Or he is an emotionally stunted man-child who is going to arbitrarily be frightened of you near half the human population and is currently weaponizing pouting. What do you do? You get out. This one came from QCBad.com. Hi, Quinn. I've been throwing around the idea of running for state office. My current representative is a non-responsive dork. I think I could do it, and I have quite a bit of passion to do it, but my husband and I had to declare bankruptcy seven years back due to hospital bills, which really upset our household bill management system, as you can imagine. But we paid everything we owed, did not lose our house, and have been pretty even keel since then. I know it can be a big knock against a person running for office. What do you think? A friend of mine was going to run for Congress in Michigan, and she was she was a popular candidate. She knew people in her area. She was doing well, and the guy who currently has the job, who was the physical embodiment of non-responsive dork, stood up and screamed, this woman can't possibly run for office because she had to declare bankruptcy. And my friend went out and said, all right, let me explain how we came to bankruptcy. There was a divorce. My finances went into the tank while I got myself extricated from the divorce. You know what happened to her popularity numbers? They went up. Because she told the truth. She explained a situation that the average person understands a lot more viscerally than I have a third plane just for the dressage ponies. People are human. If you are coming to wanting to run for office because you know how quickly everything can get away from the average American and you can speak to it intimately, you're going to be fine. You look people in the eye and say, yeah, I never thought we would be those people. But I want to make sure that doesn't happen to you. And if it's happened to you, I'm sorry and I'm understanding your plight with empathy and not just sympathy. Your vulnerability, your ability to stand up and tell the truth and say, I got through it and we're okay now and I want to take what I have learned and help you, that's not a liability, that's a superpower. If there is anything that the average voter is starved of right now, it is empathy and it is humanity. In 2019 and 2020, what could be more appealing than someone who looks you in the eye and tells the truth? Think about the people who have lit up the political sphere in the last few months. It is the people willing to be themselves and take the hits. That could be you. I say go for it. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. Before I go, I have to thank some people without whom this podcast would not be happening. But first, let's cue that music. First, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my new intro and my new outro music. I like the word outro. I'm not sure it's a word, but I'm into it. Richard is a brilliant composer. The man worked with Frank Zappa. 
which I think is really cool. Anyway, you can hear more of his stuff at richardemmett.com. Go there, you will not be disappointed. And I especially want to take a moment to thank Keith Greenstein, who designed my fantastic logo. If you love my logo, you have excellent taste. It is amazing. It is the best logo I've ever seen anywhere. And that is 100% on Keith. He is a world-class designer and commercial artist. And every time I see my logo, it makes me smile. Every time. What he did was a miracle. So, if you need outstanding art direction, just send me a note and I will hook you up with Keith. He will dazzle you. I'd also like to thank Bobby Osinski, Bobby O, whose guidance since I first thought about doing this podcast has been invaluable. It is because of Bob that my bad advice can get from my head to your ears. Thank you, Bobby O, for everything. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. And here's the thing. Your question doesn't have to be about a profound, complex, emotionally difficult problem. It can be pretty much anything. Keep in mind, I am equally unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. On my podcast, there are no stupid questions. There are only bad answers. You can reach me on Twitter at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y. Or you can always post a question to QCBad.com. Just log into QCBad.com. And there's a question form right there. Okay, that's enough for today. Feel free to dance interpretively to the rest of my groovy new music. And I'll see you all next time. <laughs>